Tonight we're looking at Genesis chapters 20 and 21. I did title this laughter, taking it from chapter 21 for that title. And we find that Abraham is on the move again in Genesis chapter 20. We are introduced to Abraham. The only time in the book of Genesis that someone is identified as a prophet, and we know that we'll look at the term, the definition of a prophet. We know there there were other prophets. Enoch was a prophet of God. Noah would have been a prophet of God. There's others in the book of Genesis, but the actual word prophet appears in Genesis chapter 20. So we're going to meet God's prophet. We've already met him back in chapter 11, and we've been following Abraham's life up to this point. But we're going to see that the prophet of God wasn't representing very well here in Genesis chapter 20. We begin in verses 1 and 2, and it says, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and stayed in Gerah. Now Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. So Abraham had consistently been on the move since he was 75 years old because the Lord had called him to do this, to wander throughout the promised land, and to not really settle, but in Genesis 13:17, God said, Arise and walk the land through its length and through its width, for I have given it to you. So God said to Abraham, I've given you all this land. I want you to spend the rest of your life just kind of checking out the land that I have given to you. You know, it's always exciting to go to a new place on vacation, perhaps, a new area you haven't been to before or to get a new or a new old home and to get familiar with it. And God has caused Abraham to be on the move, going from place to place, that he might get familiar with the land that the Lord had promised him and his descendants. Yet sometimes Abraham found himself in situations where God would have to bail him out. And here in Gerah, is one such place in the domain of King Abimelech. In Gerah, Abraham continued this deception of telling everyone that Sarah, yeah, she's my sister, and did not introduce her as his wife. And we'll learn in verse 12 that this was actually a half-truth. But you know the old adage, a half-truth is a whole lie. You know, you might have parts of it. And I think that's kind of the trouble of a lot of the stuff that we see happening in our own nation today, whether we're talking about medically with the coronavirus or presidentially in Illinois, the governor, or the whole wokeness that we look at, they mingle in half-truths, but they're not telling us the whole truth. We don't have a real understanding of situations, so they use partial truth Perhaps in the woke culture, they use something partially true to help bring other people into the movement, but they're not revealing actually what's behind the movement itself. And so there's a danger with half-truths. As for calling Sarah his sister, this had been his custom once he hit the road in the early days. And he had been sojourning at this point for 24 years, And he tells us in verse 13, this is what he asked Sarah to do as they began to hit the road to journey. He said in Genesis 20, 13, I'm skipping ahead for a moment. This is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go. Say of me, he is my brother. Now, perhaps coming from a worldly perspective, a brand new believer in God, When the Lord first called him out, perhaps I could understand his reasoning at the beginning of his sojourn of using the ways of the world, something that he was accustomed to doing. But since that time, God had 
showed himself strong to Abraham several times. And it should have been building Abraham's faith to just simply trust in the Lord. In fact, in Genesis 15, verse 1, the Lord had said to Abraham, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I'm your protection. I'm your reward. I've always found it interesting that this event with Abraham and Sarah here took place when Abraham, the Bible tells us, he was 99 years old and Sarah was 89 years old. Was King Abimelech uh, nearsighted? Was he going blind? 99 year or 89 year old wife? Was he an older man? And he thought, man, she looks fine. I'd like her to be part of my home, part of my harem. He took her that he could be with her sexually as a wife or as part of his harem. Or perhaps Abraham and Sarah didn't age. We know their age according to the Bible that Abraham lived to be 175 years old. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. So maybe they didn't age as quickly as we do. Maybe at 89, Sarah still looked like, from our standard today, looked like she was in her 40s or 50s. Or could it have been God had promised Abraham and Sarah, saying in Genesis 18, 10 and 11, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. Behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son, Sarah. And then it tells us Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. And so life had happened to Abraham and Sarah. They could no longer physically, from a human perspective, bear or give birth to a son. But perhaps God turned back the clock of time for Abraham and Sarah, rejuvenating a bit of their youth, enabling her to conceive, to be able to bear Isaac. And thus in their rejuvenation, King Abimelech was attracted to Sarah. Once again, in Genesis 12:11, it tells us that Sarah was a woman of beautiful countenance. And so she was a woman of beautiful countenance, and thus kings desired her. And we found this with Pharaoh, and now we find it with Abimelech. In verses 3 through 6, it tells us, And God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, Will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. It's interesting that this pagan king declared his integrity, his innocence over Abraham and Sarah's deception. It was true. God said, yes, you had integrity in this occasion. So God not only protected Sarah from any harm, but also kept Abimelech from sinning against him, sinning against God by having sexual relations with Sarah. In verses 17 and 18, it reveals that some time must have passed between Abimelech's taking Sarah and God's exposing the truth in this dream to Abimelech concerning her marriage to Abraham, considering that God had closed the reproductive capabilities of, it, the Bible tells us, of Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. For a season, it, it had me thinking this way, that there could have been a, a skipped year of births, a delay of babies being born 
for a season because God put a hold on his nation that anyone could conceive. Even the king was affected by this. And so it could have been that later on when kids were going to school, there was the, you know, the eighth graders and there were the sophomores, but no freshmen because they weren't birthed during that time. God put a hold on everything. They skipped a year. Well, they did skip some time. They had to know that there was a curse against them. And perhaps Abimelech was wondering, why is this happening? And perhaps that is the reason behind God coming to him in the dream. Also caused me to wonder why Abimelech, how many times perhaps he had planned that special night with Sarah to either wed her as his wife or one of his wives or to bring her into his harem just to have some state business or national emergency pull him away. It's like, man, I had everything ready. Nope. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Was this also an attempt by Satan to taint the promise of God, the messianic hope of all mankind? For God had said about Abraham in Genesis 18, 18, Abraham shall surely become a great nation, a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. This was a messianic prophecy. And if Satan could interrupt it, by having Sarah tainted and Sarah being part of that promise to corrupt Sarah would disrupt God's plan of redemption for mankind. It would have at least corrupted Abraham and Sarah's parts or role in this. I think Mordecai gives us a great idea of the importance of everyone's role that we have in serving Christ, we each have a role to play. And Mordecai said to his niece, Esther, in Esther 4.14, when the Jews at, in their day were being threatened with annihilation, Mordecai said to Esther, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So was this an attempt of Satan to destroy God's plan? We know that God is always working to fulfill his plans. As Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father has been working until now and I have been working. God may have rested from the work of creation on the seventh day after that creation week. But God has always been working, caring for this planet, and especially in regards to the redemption of mankind. So there was a necessary restoration in verse 7. Now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, Know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours. So God revealed to Abimelech that Abraham was a prophet. And if he did not restore Sarah to Abraham, that Abimelech would surely die and everyone that belonged to him. As I said earlier, this is the only time that the word prophet appears in the book of Genesis. And in the Bible, a prophet is a person who hears from God and reveals God's message to others. Second Peter 1 21 tells us for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. While much of God's interaction with Abraham was instructive, God telling Abraham to go here or to go there. God also informed Abraham of the future of his descendants and of the promised Messiah. And I wonder how God felt 
coming to Abimelech saying, yeah, he lied, but he's my prophet. So 8 through 18, Abimelech arose early in the morning. He called all his servants, told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me which ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view? What were you thinking when you have done this thing? How interesting. The understanding, all this is pre-law. The Ten Commandments haven't been given yet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Hadn't been spoken by God or given to Moses on that holy mountain at this point. And yet Abimelech, saw this, the taking of Abraham's wife, as a great sin against himself and upon his whole kingdom. Have you ever had a parent, a teacher, an employer perhaps say to you, what were you thinking? In Abraham's case, he was thinking in the ways of the world and not like a follower of God. And I fear that we've all done this from time to time. After God's word to Abimelech, the king arose early in the morning. He told his royal advisors of his dreams. They all were troubled greatly, and they called Abraham and Sarah to question them, to reprimand them. And Abraham's response, verse 11 through 13, because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from house, my father's house that I said to her, this kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go, save me. He is my brother. We look at Abraham as a great man of faith, and he was. But he also at times operated in fear and not in faith. This is one of those occasions when Abraham was operating in fear, not faith. Therefore, Abraham and Sarah lied to the king. Luke 12, verses 4 through 7 tells us, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before the Lord, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Of course, this is the word of Jesus to his disciples, his followers. And so often we fear. We fear those who have authority over us and those who can threaten us. And Jesus said, don't fear those who can simply merely only kill your body. Fear the one that after he has killed you can also cast you into hell. Fear God. And Abraham forgot to fear God in this occasion. He operated under the fear of man but not in faith toward the living God who had redeemed him. So the king restored Sarah to her husband, gave them gifts, according to verse 14, of sheep, oxen, male and female servants. We already know back in chapter 14 that Abraham had 318 trained men who were raised up in his own household. He already had a large property and peoples that were attached to him 
And now he receives more sheep, more oxen, more male and female servants. And on top of that, verse 16 tells us the king gave a gift to Sarah of a thousand pieces of silver. Abimelech even let Abraham continue to dwell in the land. So Abraham prayed to God, verse 17. And God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female servants, and they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So after prophet Abraham prayed for Abimelech, they began having and bearing children once again in that nation. Now we may look at chapter 20 and we think, Abraham, how could you do this? We might want to condemn Abraham thinking, where's your faith, man? Before we condemn him, may I suggest to you that perhaps we have had those several times in our own sojourns in this world when we, because of fear, may not have always identified ourselves as Christians. As a result, Jesus had, he's had to come and bail us out a time or two. And when he bails us out, he might even say, yeah, she, he, she lied but she's a believer and she's mine. Or he lied and he's a believer and he's mine. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for bailing us out of those times when we put faith or put fear over faith. Now let's get to the laughter. Chapter 21. Let me go back to the beginning. I've been doing this in the book of Genesis thus far. And so the key verse I gave to chapter 20 was verse 7, which introduces Abraham as a prophet. Therefore, he restored the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. And so the importance of that restoration but also Abraham being called a prophet. The key verse in chapter 21, I gave verse 6 as the key verse saying, Sarah actually saying this, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. Laughter, Genesis 21. It was a day of laughter in verses 1 and 2. The Lord visited Sarah as he said and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. So just as the Lord said, just as he has spoken, Sarah conceived, verse 2, and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time in which God has spoken of him. So the long-awaited day had finally arrived. It had been 25 years in the making. Verses 1 and 2, we notice that those phrases, as he said, as he spoken, which God has spoken, these phrases are good reminders that God's word is true and will be accomplished even if it takes 25 years or more. Our job at times is to wait and to remain faithful to the Lord God who will always remain faithful to his word toward us. Ezekiel 12:28 tells us, Thus says the Lord God, None of my words will be postponed any more but the word which i speak will be done says the lord god that which the lord speaks is that which will be accomplished so how long lord have you ever had those prayers i know i did i specifically remember when we lived over in winthrop harbor uh, prior to moving out here to lake villa and uh my son had walked away from the Lord and he was living a pretty radical and dangerous life. And yet in the process of those years, and they were years, several years, twice the Lord has spoken to me that the Lord would restore my son. He would bring him back. And I never doubted that the Lord would restore my son. So twice the Lord has spoken to me concerning our son. And once was in a very special place. It was in the ruins of the synagogue of Capernaum there in Israel. 
where the Lord took a passage of scripture that was being taught by one of the pastors who was on the trip with us. And he kind of just had me step back a moment while the Lord Jesus just personally spoke a message to me in, in connection with my son. And for a while on that trip, our son was with us there in Israel. And he, at that point in northern Israel, he began to look to faith once again. He was seeing the land that he had read about in the Bible and he began to participate, which he hadn't done up to that point. But still, when he came back, he fell back to the old ways. And I remember asking the Lord, I know that you said you will restore him, redeem him, but when? Is he going to be an old man? Am I going to live to see it? Sometimes we have to wait. That timing is in God's hands. We have to trust in God's perfect timing. So Abraham, verse 3, called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, verse 6, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have bore him a son in his old age. So this is Brit Milla. Brit Milla, it's the naming day ceremony, the circumcision, kind of tied together for the boys today, traditionally. And I went to a Jewish website to kind of get an understanding better of both the circumcision and the naming day. And this is what they have to say about these important events. And they compare it to Genesis 17:12, saying, God spoke to Abraham, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And then they go on to say, for 3,500 years since the time of our forefather Abraham, the Jewish people have observed the ritual of circumcision as a fundamental sign of the covenant between God and Israel. So known in Hebrew as Brit Milah, or the covenant of circumcision, Brit Milah is considered the sign of the newborn child's entry into the Jewish tradition. For millennia, they say, in every country where Jews have lived, they have always practiced this ritual, sometimes at great personal sacrifice. They connect this circumcision of the male boy on the eighth day as the ultimate affirmation of Jewish identity. And this ritual often is combined with, for the boys especially, the naming day. They combined it there with that eighth day. And they enter into that covenant between God and the Jewish people. And so the day that Isaac was born, it was a day of laughter. The laughter began over nine months earlier, if you remember, when God had promised Abraham that he would have a son through Sarah. In Genesis 17:17, 17, 17, we find that Abraham laughed for joy. But in Genesis 18:13, Sarah laughed in unbelief. And yet there had to be a point when Abraham's joy and Sarah's unbelief became life-quickening faith. In Hebrews 11:11, 11, 11, it tells us, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised it. Sarah first heard Genesis 8, 18, 13. Sarah laughed in unbelief. There, there was a point where that unbelief became faith because she judged God who had promised her a son to be faithful. So she said, verse 6, God has made me laugh, and all who will hear will laugh with me. So fitting 
this laughter surrounding the birth of this son, whom they named Isaac, which is a name that means laughter. Whether Isaac was named on the day of his birth or on the eighth day of circumcision, Abraham had Isaac circumcised as a sign of the covenant with God. And it tells us their ages here, Abraham being 100 and Sarah being 90 years old. In Job 8.11, it tells us, Yet he will fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. And that is what God did with Abraham and Sarah at this time. And then there was the weaning day when the child was weaned from his mother in verses 8 through 14. So the child grew, verses 8 and 9, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham, scoffing. So weaning day. Technically, I looked into Jewish websites on this, and there was one Jewish website that said, you know, this would be a great thing for us to do, but it's not really necessarily a tradition. They went on to talk about how this could be an important time for both the family and the child, for the father and the mother. Uh, this day when the child begins to eat meat or rice, whatever it might be, but solid food. It's also a day that speaks about the provision that God had given through woman, that she should be able to feed a child through nursing that child. But now he's coming of age. He's getting older. And so Abraham has a celebration about this day. And in this article I was reading about weaning day, toward the end of the article, they suggested this prayer. Just as Abraham and Sarah rejoiced at the weaning of their son Isaac, our hearts too are glad that, whatever child's name might be, that this child has grown into a full childhood sustained with good health by God's precious gift of milk. Bless us, God, all of us together with the light of your countenance. And so even to this day, there are Jews who see a significance in this account in the book of Genesis. I know we as Americans, we probably don't at all make a big deal out of this. It's like, oh, they're eating solid food now. It's just, it happens. But they had a celebration when Isaac was weaned. And we find that the laughter continued, Abraham having this great feast day, but not everyone who laughed, laughed with rejoicing. As we learn in verse 9, that Ishmael, the older half-brother, laughed in scorn. And so Sarah said to Abraham, verse 10, cast out this bondwoman and her son for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And though disheartening to Abraham, this was his firstborn son, 13 years old. God told Abraham to heed the voice of his wife. In verse 12, God said, do not let this be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of the bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. So God reminded Abraham, the promise is with Isaac, not with Ishmael. First, God reminded Abraham of the messianic promise that had been given to him. In Romans 9, verses 6 through 9, it says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. Romans 9, 8, it says, That is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise at this time 
I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So Abraham was disheartened. He had to say goodbye to Hagar. He had to say goodbye to Ishmael. Remember, God said, don't be displeased because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. God first reminded Abraham of his promise that had to be fulfilled through Isaac. Then God promised Abraham that Ishmael also would become a great nation. God said in verse 13, also, I will make a great nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took the bread and the skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. We need to realize this. When we truly walk in obedience to the word of God, we will have to make some hard choices in our lives. For Abraham, this was a hard choice. This was to him. I know we don't understand having more than one wife, but this was sending a wife away, but also sending away his firstborn son. Even though Ishmael was of the work of the flesh, no doubt Abraham's flesh, his heart was breaking as a father and as a husband. But he was trusting in the promises of God. And that is what Hagar and Ishmael had to learn to do as well. In verses 15 and 16, it tells us, And the water in the skin was used up. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. And then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she had said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. After the water was used up, Hagar put some distance between herself and her son. She did not want to have to watch her son die of thirst. She lifted up her voice. She began to weep. And the Bible tells us in verse 17, God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Or Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. In obedience to God's command, Hagar took her son's hand. And then she discovered the well of water. Sometimes that's how God works. We have to begin taking those steps of faith before we discover the gifts that God would have for us in this life. For her, the need was water. But she had to take the steps of faith. She had to be obedient to God's command before the water was discovered. A water that not only refreshed them physically but no doubt spiritually as well to know that God had a plan for their lives like Abraham when we walk in obedience to God's word others might be able to see that God has a plan for their lives as well it took Abraham to send her away for Hagar and her son to discover the work of God in their own lives they had been in that household Well, the son for 13 years. And yet now they themselves had to learn to walk in obedience to God's plan for them. So sometimes when we walk in obedience to the word of God, others may be able to see that God has a plan for their own lives as well. So it was 20 and 21. God was with the lad, and he grew, and he dwelt in the wilderness, became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So the wilderness of Paran is the same area of where 
one day the children of Israel will wander for 40 years. Not always in the same wilderness, but it's one of the areas that they would spend their time during those 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Yet there was something else at play here. God was working out his eternal purposes by distinguishing between the son of promise and the son of bondage. Paul picks this up in Galatians 4, verses 28 and 31, saying, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so now it is. Nevertheless, what does Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So there's also spiritual lessons being learned here that even Paul would identify and pick up on during the period of the New Testament when Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Well, we close out with an oath being made at Beersheba. And the chapter closes out verses 22 to 34. Now Abraham's on the uh, dwelling in the land of Abimelech at this time. And it tells us it came to pass that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. So they observed Abraham, that God was blessing him abundantly. So they went on to say, Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my prosperity. But according to the kindness that I've done to you, you will do to me and to the land which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, verse 24, I will swear. So the chapter closes with another encounter between Abraham and Abimelech, this time Abimelech coming to him, asking for a covenant to be made between the two, a covenant of peace. So 25 through 28, then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor have I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set aside seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. So Abraham had freedom to roam through the land of Abimelech. But we find that there was contention between the servants of Abimelech and the servants of Abraham. And now Abraham brings that up to the king. The king said, I had no clue this was going on. I was listening to a podcast yesterday. I'm going to look into this, but I think it's called secondvote.com. And so behind this secondvote.com, the idea of this is, one, you vote at the voting box, your first vote. But then you vote with your pocketbook the things you purchase, where you shop. And so at secondvote.com, it's a membership fee of $15 a year, uh, something I want to look into. But they rate all the different companies that serve us, like everything from restaurants to big box stores. And they've had impact. They've had impact so much so that some companies have come back to secondvote.com saying, would you change our rating? And it's like, yeah, we'll change the rating if you'll stay neutral on political issues. If you just stay neutral, stay out of it. And then we'll change your rating. The couple who helped start this thing, they were saying that it could be as little as 50 people bringing to the attention of the company that something's going on here that we don't agree with that would cause them to kind of raise up their head and take action. And I'm mentioning this because one of the uh, heads of the company, when he questioned their rating with secondvote.com, they told 
the reason why they had a poor rating with them. And they said, we're not doing that. And it's like, yes, you are. And they discovered that it was the diversity department that kind of was shaping this thing. But the head of the company had no idea what was going on, like the king here. I have no clue. First time I heard of it. That can happen today. So their point was, speak up. God can use it to work change in our nation. So they agreed here back in our study. They agreed to a treaty of peace. Abraham rebuked the king of his servants, as we just learned. And Abraham, while giving gifts to Abimelech of sheep, oxen, he had set aside seven ewe lambs. And so the king asked, verse 29, What's the meaning of the seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? Verse 30, Abraham said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, and they will be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore, verse 31, he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. So this is a name that could be well of seven, well of seven, the seven lambs. An oath was sworn in this place. In verses 32 through 34, thus they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech arose with Phicol, his commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. They haven't mentioned the Philistines yet, but apparently Abimelech was king over the Philistines, or one of the cities of the Philistines, as they often would do. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there he called upon the name of the Lord the everlasting God and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days so Abraham not only planted a tree there to reflect the permanence of the promise that he would inherit the land from the Lord he began to call upon the name of the Lord he called him Yahweh El Olam Yahweh El Olam that is the Lord the everlasting God. And so this is a Hebrew word that is used to express duration, something that will just keep continuing. In fact, Strong's in his concordance of the Hebrew words of the Bible, he said that this word, olam, means to the vanishing point, as far as you can see with your eyes. God, the everlasting God. Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth of the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Here it's from the vanishing point to the left, vanishing point to the right. You are God. From everlasting to everlasting. For those who repent and look to God's only Son, Jesus and life-saving faith, they also are given everlasting life. According to the word of the Lord, in John 6, 47, Jesus said, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa on Wednesday evenings, we've been going through the ABCs of salvation, and I'd like to run through these and then close us out in prayer. The A is for admit. We need to admit to God that we are sinners and ask for his forgiveness. So this is part of the gospel. Part of the gospel is coming to Jesus, yet receiving Jesus as your Savior. But it's confession, it's admitting to God that we are sinners. It's repenting of our sins. For the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in 1 John 1.9, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. We also need to believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father today, receive that gift of salvation, as Romans 5.8 tells us. But God demonstrates, present tense, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. We need to believe in that work of Jesus Christ. And the C is for confess. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ and share that faith with others. As in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, it tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Romans 10.13, For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For those who perhaps are watching on social media, listening through the radio tonight, or maybe hearing this message at a later date, but you have uh, just a prayer need, Uh, You want to pray to receive Christ. Maybe you have something else going on and you'd like prayer support. Please contact us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. Be praying for us this weekend. It's family camp weekend. It's 10th annual family camp weekend. Um, Pray that God would bless the weekend beginning on Friday evening with dinner but going all the way through Sunday, early afternoon, just, you know, we'll do Sunday morning church, family camp style, but at the same time. And so for our radio and Facebook listeners, watchers, we'll have Travis Lieban beginning somewhere a little after 7 p.m. on Friday night, and then our regular Sunday morning service will be broadcast for you but nothing on Saturday. We're going to be here, but uh, just keep that in prayer. And if you're able to come out again, Travis Lee Band will be doing a concert Friday evening. I would invite you to come out if you're able this coming Friday evening. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the teaching tonight from Abraham going from a man who is motivated by fear not faith in Genesis chapter 20 to discover in Genesis 21 that, Lord, because he trusted in you and walked in faith, you blessed him with his son, Isaac, Sarah as well. And because of this blessing, Lord, as you promised Abraham in your seed, all the world, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. A messianic promise concerning Jesus Christ. So that blessing, Lord, even coming to us, that we today as believers in Jesus Christ, according to your word, we are children of promise. We thank you for that. We pray for those, Lord, who are sick and in need of healing. We pray for those, Lord, who are traveling. We ask, Lord, your blessing be upon this weekend for our fellowship as it'll be a busy place around here. Protect us, watch over us. And Lord, let your word go forth with power. May those, Lord, who perhaps don't know you as Savior, perhaps this weekend will be the weekend that they commit their life to you. We ask all these things in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus, amen.